Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is May 18th, 2015, and this is episode 122. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Mr. Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're probably doing it at our website, which is Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Dot com. It's also possible that you found us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, as we are proud partners and members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Make sure that you check out Baltimore Sports today. Check out BSR Post Game Live, which I will say more than occasionally features Scotty and I. And uh, also make sure uh, you tune in for great video content. If you are going to catch this show on a third-party platform, you can do it in Stitcher. Uh, you can do it in Miro, Double Twist, and if you absolutely must, that thing called iTunes. And if you're going to do it on iTunes, make sure you stop after you listen and you rate the show, leave a review. It really helps people find the program, and we appreciate it. Lastly, on social media, you can find us all over, Google+, Facebook, whatever. But the, mo- the best place to find us is certainly at Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with all that out of the way, Scotty, it's time for the drink of the week. What are you drinking? Jake, I am drinking a Brewer's Art Birdhouse Pale Ale today. A lovely orange and black can that goes down deliciously after an Orioles victory. Wow. You've put me to shame. So I- I've had two this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so sad because it's so true. You put me to shame because I am drinking a Corona Extra, which, might I add, was my jam in college. And now it's just the beer of my nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, and with all the important things out of the way, it's time. Let's do it. The medical wing. Okay, we're going to skip the music because this is going to be really long. <laughs> Chris Tillman was scratched from his last start. We'll be back for his next one. Allegedly not a candidate for DL. Back spasms. Bud Norris went on the DL today. Bronchitis. Um, he's been, you know, going to be down there for a while. Basically, we having Buck said that he lost 10 pounds. So that's pretty significant. I have a question for you. Sure. They backdated his assignment yeah. on the DL. Why? Why Do you not? have to backdate him for the last time he appeared? I uh, don't think you have to, but... At this point, I would stall as long as I can with Bud Norris. That's not nice. I mean, I know he has got a case of the sucks right now, but that's not appropriate. No, 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 no. And this is not me being malicious. This is me saying to help him get himself figured out. Yeah. To, to alleviate as much pressure as possible. Give him the maximum amount of time to get right. Okay. Yeah, I, d- I don't think he's going to learn anything in Norfolk. Uh, Kevin Gossman, right shoulder tendinitis, expected to go through uh, two to three flat ground sessions this week. He's being stretched out as a starter in the minors and or rehab assignment. Okay, that's kind of interesting, but unfortunately, just not the quite right timing with Bud Norris now going to the DL. Uh, Everett Cabrera, bruised left foot, is on his AAA rehab assignment. Watch out, Ray Navarro. Now, seriously, 
watch out Ray Navarro. Ryan Flaherty, pull groin, um, still in DL. This could actually linger for most of the season based off of how other groin injuries have gone. You know, had his groin injury, went in the DL, rehabbed it, came back, injured it immediately afterwards. Um, I don't like the look of that at all. Not like in uh, the groin area for Ryan Flaherty. Look, right I now. usually enjoy the view of Ryan Flaherty's groin area. This I do not like. Jason Garcia, right shoulder tendonitis, a.k.a. we wanted to find a way to get you off the roster temporarily. Uh, Jonathan Scope has returned to baseball activities. Huzzah, but probably still not going to be back before the All-Star break. And Matt Wieters uh, caught uh, a long seven innings in extended spring training. Buck Walter said he wouldn't put Wieters and Joseph in the same lineup. Um, and they're looking to get it back by that June 4th date. Any chance that could, that could happen? Sure. Yeah, there's a chance. How big of a chance? I I would bet money on it. As good as Steve Clevenger throwing someone out at second base? I would not bet money on it. Okay. Rusty White is uh, still rehabbing from his trapezius strain. Um, is uh, is he ever going to come back, or is he just pretty much gone? No, I, I say you put him on a milk carton, this man may be dead. Okay. And uh, the really bad news today, in my opinion, is Hunter Harvey, max flex restraint, got a section opinion from Dr. James Death Andrews. Got his PPR injection. Will be shut down for at least six weeks. He gone. He gone. That Tommy John has written all over it. Um, all right. I think that's it in the medical wing. I think we pretty much did as quickly as possible. And then I'll close out our episode. List. Thanks yes. for listening. But let's go over to the more important and funny part since everyone is completely depressed now. Let's go to the twat. This week on the Twitter. Uh, it was a good showing from the diehards last week uh, for reopening day. This comes from at reopening day. Tom Davis at Waterwall Baseball um, supports hashtag reopening days. So should you come out to the yard tonight and root for the at Orioles. I'm not sure it was such a good showing from the diehards, Scott Magnus. From the diehards, yes, but there's just not many of us out there. 20,000 people for reopening day. Yeah. I was working really hard not to be disappointed. And here's the thing. Even the Orioles showed up on Monday for reopening day. Yeah. The fans could have done the same. Well, 42,000 people did show up on Sunday, so that was oh, a pretty good. bravo. Good and it's a lot better than certain Monday nights in the past for Baltimore Orioles. But we did have a good night on Monday night for reopening day. We got to hang out with a bunch of uh, folks. Um, the Spastics, Charlie Hoppus was there. And uh, evidently, I need a selfie stick because we took a p- group picture with a bunch of folks. And this was from the Spastics. You should be following them at Oral Spastics because they're eventually going to... Uh, Doing an Arrested Development theme uh, podcast once again. It says, lovely evening at the ballpark with at Bird's Eye View BAL, at Asia Megan, at Connor Gracio, at Matt C. Lund, at Joe Papa, and at OBP Apparel. Guys, it was a great night. Thanks for coming out tonight. And, uh, you know, we had just had a great time that night uh, celebrating with drinks and, um, you know, just merriment for that game. And a win, too. All right, now here's something that didn't necessarily happen but it still makes me feel old. And here's a tweet that came uh, last night uh, on the 17th of May from Steve Molesky, who, of course, tweets at Massim Steve. And he writes, uh, wow, Jeff Conine, former Oriole, expected to be the Marlins' new manager, the man known as Niner. That makes me feel really old. Didn't your brother really like Jeff Conine? Uh, yeah, my brother probably would have become a serious Marlins fan if that had happened. Okay. Um, we do not endorse exerting yourself. This comes from Tony Lescalette. You can follow him at T Lescalette. And he posts, the O's won. Now I have to run a race every Sunday. Crud. And he was at a, uh, 
a race um, and basically was representing with his Orioles hat. And unfortunately, yeah, Tony, you're going to have to basically race every single Sunday. It's just the rule now. 5K, 10K, whatever you can find. Just going to have to go out there and run every single Sunday. In fact, you know what? Take the whole Sunday pack. Just run a 5K every single day, okay? That's all we ask. Yeah, it's not much. All right, look, the next one, I cannot believe there was such juvenile humor on Twitter and frankly, I've never been more proud. Yes. Uh, Delman Young Gold Glove, who tweets at Dave the Pizza Guy, tweets at us at Bird's Eye View BAL. If we all pitch in, can we get Taco Bell tomorrow for the team's pregame meal? Get some runs one way or the another. Or another. Runs. <laughs> all right. Well, it's time to DFA that terrible logo. Um, in response to, can we DFA those all those hats with the O's logo? This team has such a rich uh, logo backlog. It's really a shame. And uh, this comes from one of our followers, uh, Cologne Will. Uh, I think that's Colonel Will. Colonel Will? Is it Colonel Will? Yeah, it's Colonel Will. It's really small on my computer. And he posts, 10 to 20 is their record in Friday alt since the beginning of last year. Oof. You know, we talked about this actually on reopening day um, briefly with the guys at OBP Apparel and the indomitable Charlie Hoppus. Um, we talked about perhaps them going to the white Baltimore uniforms instead of using the uh, the, the black O alt hats as well. So I think it'd be pretty cool to wear the white Baltimore uniforms for the rest of the Friday games going forward. Or, or Sundays or something. Look, anything that gets rid of that O's logo hat is fine with me. Um, next, I, I can't tell if this is somebody being a really good sport or being a really big troll. I feel like the line is so fine. Yeah. Um, after the game on Wednesday, uh, we did one of our Around the Bases uh, blogs, which is where we you know, we basically recap a game or a week or something. You had to justify somehow being in the press box. I did. It was, okay. you know, you're lucky it didn't come out with a byline. Yeah. Um, but so there was a, a tweet that came from Lawrence Fox, CPA, CMA. Well, lazy to know. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Uh, who, of course, tweets at the wizard guy. And uh, the tweet goes as follows. Well, at least they won without throwing a ball at Jose B's head this time. I, look, it, was this a joke? Are, are, you, are you laughing with us? Or are you grudge holding for Jose Bautista? I can't tell. He's Canadian. He doesn't understand humor. Moving on. Now, this is a definite troll job. This comes from Skipjack, and it's, you can follow him at Skipjack0079 and says, uh, can't always have steak, I suppose. Sometimes you have to settle for McDonald's. And this was in response to us saying, the Beatles playing during the discussion following the decision were in good hands. Oh. Did he just call the Beatles McDonald's over steak? I, I believe so. I Skipjack, if that is your real name, you seem like a good guy on Twitter. Or so you did. You're dead to me. You know who's also a good guy on Twitter? Who's that? He's our next guest, Jeff Sullivan from Fangraphs. Let's go talk to him about uh, all things Orioles on Fangraphs. I'll take deep breaths. Jake, in this dark and confusing world that is Orioles baseball, there is hope for life to make us make sense of this uh, this nonsense, which is baseball, and that light. Is Jeff Sullivan, whose fantastic work at Fangrass occasionally turns to the Orioles. 
Uh, we were treated to su- two such articles recently, and we've asked Jeff to come and join us to discuss them. Jeff, thank you for joining us on Bird's Eye View. Absolutely. Happy Monday. Uh, yes, happy Monday to you. So uh, let's start with Manny Machado article, which is called Manny Machado's Light Bulb Turned On. Now, we want to encourage everyone to go over to Fangraphs to read it, but if you don't mind us giving away enough for the purpose of the discussion, when you wrote the article, what had been the biggest change that you had noticed with Manny Machado at the plate so far in 2015? Yeah, I can, I can tell you at this point, I don't care if you uh, spoil it, you know, the, the traffic is what the traffic is, and I don't even, I don't really care. I write and then I move on, and you can spoil whatever you want, but I think with with a player like Machado, or really with any player, uh, you you sort of see them establish their approaches pretty quickly. And I, I want to try to keep away from technical words if I can, but you figure you're going to have your, your patient hitters, your your aggressive hitters, your contact hitters, your swing and miss hitters, and you're going to have your guys who, who will expand their own zones, and, and they're generally, you see with those guys, they get enough rewards swinging out of the zone that they get sort of a... Uh, a positive reinforcement, you know, like with Pablo Sandoval, he's, he's been conditioned to keep swinging out of the zone because he hits home runs on pitches out of the zone, so why not do it? And so anyway, with Manny Machado, he, you have a young player coming up, very aggressive hitter, clearly hasn't uh, held him back from being a, a good player overall. It's not sometimes a great player overall, but you have a guy who doesn't strike out a ton, but who just seldom walks, and when you have a guy who doesn't walk, you wonder how good he can get at the plate unless he makes a step forward. And with Machado, there were some early indications that all of a sudden he uh, he was just had become a lot more patient. He was looking for his pitch. He wasn't taking and swinging at whatever he was given. And you you can look at the rate of, at which a batter swings the pitches out of the zone or even the pitches in the zone, and Machado was just showing and is still showing rates that are so much lower than where they've been before that even though it's still just mid-May and I don't I, I don't know if it was late April or early May when I actually wrote the article, but the numbers still hold up. But it's so uncommon to see shifts in patterns like that, especially with a young player, that uh, I basically had to write it up because it's a sign you always want. Like with a young pitching prospect, you always want them to improve their command. And with a young hitting prospect, you always want them to improve their control of, of the strike zone. And usually they don't do it, and then they disappoint, and then they're 30, and then they're out of baseball. But with Manny Machado... It looks like he's taken a real a real stride, which most players don't do. And for him, I think that kind of unlocks the next level of, of being a real dynamic offensive talent. Well, uh, let me explain a little something to you about the show. Uh, one of the key themes of Bird's Eye View is uh, the role of statistics in baseball. Scott is very well versed at it. I would say that I'm I'm not as well versed, but open-minded to the importance of it in the game. So I apologize in advance, but I have to ask a dumb question. Is that all right? Uh, hit me. <laughs> so Machado's been. Moved I'm tired to- of smart questions. Sometimes I don't know the answer to smart questions. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, Lee, feeling better about this. Uh, Machado's been moved <laughs> to the leadoff spot in the lineup, mostly because, well, somebody had to do it. Um, but we, we, what I wanted to ask you is: Is there anything different in his approach as a leadoff hitter, or has it simply been that he's coming up in a different spot in the order? He's simply taking his skill set to a new spot in the lineup, and doesn't really change anything. It's difficult to know where, where things like this come from because generally your eye is your eye and you see pitches how you see pitches and you will swing at them how you recognize them. There's a reason uh, numbers like this tend to remain pretty stable. Uh, and so you, you try to find well, reasons, well, why would he all of a sudden become more patient? And it could absolutely be because he's shifted in the batting order. It could have something to do with the Orioles having Scott Poolbaugh as a new hitting coach who 
who has, was talking in the spring about taking a, a player-by-player, sort of a case-by-case approach to uh, helping his hitters improve. And he talked about uh, like various aggressive Orioles and the things that they needed to do to get better. And you can also, I think it's, it's relatively poorly understood, but you can have little mechanical adjustments that the batters make at the plate that when they make those adjustments, it buys them a few more milliseconds of, of standing there and, and looking at pitches and recognizing them and staying back. And I haven't analyzed Machado's actual swing relative to what it was before. That's very difficult to do. But it's possible that he's also done something to his stance or his load or, or just his weight transfer that is buying him just a little more time. And then when you have a little more time, then you you effectively make your eye a lot better. You get a little more time to watch a breaking ball, and it goes out of the zone, you don't swing at it. And so I don't know which one of those, if not all three of them, has been affecting Machado, but I think the most important thing is, well, here are the results. And whatever the explanation is, the most important thing is that he's doing it. Well, let me ask you, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. One of the things that we can't tell with our eyes unless we've got a specialty in this field is being able to take a look at his swing and, and more importantly, in the load that you talked about, this is a guy that's coming off of two knee surgeries, the, the most recent of which basically gave him two brand new knees. We have the technology. We can make him stronger. It only costs $6 million, but... <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anything for us to, to put weight into to, to be able to say, you know, maybe at this point Manny Machado can mechanically do all the things that he, he's gifted I with? I mean, he's definitely with a, a little bit more of a swagger out there in the base pass, too, for example. <laughs> he's going out there and said, I'm going to steal bases out there, too, so... You know, this is a guy that came in off this offseason saying, you know, I feel like a god after I get two new knees. You know, is this a certain swagger or bravado that maybe is making him be a little bit more confident of being a Major League Baseball player, too? Yeah, you wonder, although I guess you could just as easily say that sometimes if you have an overconfident baseball player, he's going to be too confident in his own abilities, and maybe he'll start swinging more, thinking yeah. that he can do more damage. So who knows? Who's to say why it's happening? But, you know, when you have a player who's just as young as he is, and think about Think about whatever you were when you were his age. Sometimes things just click. That was a long, long time ago. I'll tell you the what. I'll I'll tell you this: whatever he's doing, whatever the knee surgery has done for him uh, to give him confidence at the plate, he is not taking it with him to the field. Well, that's not very nice, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, talking about the field, though, you know, I want to go and talk about another article, which was Steve Pierce, and uh, I want to talk about the the article that you wrote called the Steve Pierce second base experience. And honestly, I was frightened when Steve Pierce was put into the lineup uh, at second base. You know, I read it through the lineup and I'm like, yeah, Buck's just playing with us again. You know, this has to be a joke. And then I look at it and I'm like, no, Steve Pierce is actually playing second base. And it's like, okay, well, it's one day. It's never going to happen again. You know, Marcakis came in and played first base for one game uh, in a few seasons past. You know, this isn't going to last. And then lo and behold, Steve Pierce has become a fairly regular second baseman for the Baltimore Orioles with Jonathan Scope out, Ryan Flaherty out, and Ray Navarro pretty much having really poor defensive ability. So, uh, you know, before we talk about Pierce and this invented second baseman, what is your assessment of Pierce defensively at his more natural positions of, like, the outfield and first base? I think when you – it's hard to fight the just the the surface impressions you, you create of a player like Steve Pierce where you think, okay, you've got a journeyman – sort of a slugger type swings and misses and you sort of assume what he's going to be as a defensive player so you figure okay he's probably slow and plotting in the corner outfield maybe passable at first base then you look at what the Orioles were able to do with him and they turned him into I think a plus defensive first base and I don't think anybody would argue that that yeah. they they made him considerably better over there at his position and he I don't think I didn't watch the Orioles every single day but I don't think that he had 
too many adventures in the outfield when he played the outfield. He seemed to handle the he, he's no dumb and young pretty well. And, and I think when you look at the work that Pierce was able to put in last year and get so much better at first base, that's probably the biggest reason why Buck Walter thought, okay, well, here's a guy maybe he can handle moving 80 feet to his, his right. And I think so far there's been nothing to complain about. It's only been, I think, nine games and eight starts or something at second base, but he's he's fulfilled his obligation and then some. And, and you think, okay, well, the Orioles are playing a designated hitter at second base. Well, they're not. And I think maybe... You, maybe this is a case where it's not Buck Showalter necessarily being insane and aggressive. It's just everybody else being too cautious and thinking that second base is some sort of prized position when the reality is that if you have a player like Pierce, he can apparently handle it just fine. You know, and it's so weird because you wrote this article back on the 5th of May uh, with gifts from the previous night, uh, from the, the ball game the previous night to drive your uh, points home. Uh, but basically what I took away from that was the following four points. Uh, first is that his footwork was, uh, we'll call it good enough. Um, second, that he had a strong, accurate arm, uh, which comes from the uh, comes from the outfield and from first base. Third, that he made the routine plays that he had to and lastly, that he wasn't challenged with many difficult plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that really narrow it down, or is there anything beyond that? I think that's, that captures uh, the bulk of it, and maybe one of the things that is important to keep in mind is that when you have a player who's trying a new position, first of all, it, I think it says something that the Orioles put him at second base immediately. They gave him, I think, like a half day of prep, and then they said, okay, go do it. Even though Jimmy Paredes has experience at second base, like he's a qualified defensive infielder who's at least not terrible, but still, Showalter felt confident enough in, uh, in Pierce to have him, him do it instead. But when, you're talk, uh, when you're dealing with a player who's in a new position, I think what people have to remember is that the overwhelming majority of opportunities those players get are going to be fairly routine, and the, the really tricky, challenging plays are, are uncommon, and so if you give Pierce, you know, I don't know, two weeks, uh, whatever it is, there's so many injured Orioles middle infield is hard to keep track of, but however long Pierce is out there, maybe he's only going to have two, three, four really challenging plays. Maybe he makes one or two of them, and then maybe he does make the other two, and that's easy enough to explain. Well, he's not a second baseman, but it's not like you're going to see balls eat him up every single day because he just there's not going to be that number of chances. Okay, I want to unpack a couple of things you just said there. First of all, you just called uh, yeah. Jimmy Paredes a qualified second baseman, and sir, I want you to take it back. Um, Experience experienced professional infielder. Let's go with that. Oh, you, right. I think if you have a football coach, a football coach would have been like, we're going to put Paredes at second base because he's done it before and Pierce hasn't. It's that kind of conservative thinking. And, and Pierce had never done it before. Here's, and I like that Joe Walter did not go that way. Here's the thing. He, he could have come back and spoke to He shows grit out there at second base. So we're going to throw him <laughs> out there because he's got grit. <laughs> Here's the thing as an Orioles fan. There was a a, a point a couple years ago, and I'm going to botch the date, probably 2012, where in— I thought you were going to go Ty Wigginton. In pregame warm-ups, Matt Wieters uh, was warming up at second base, and I was like, no, Buck, no, you're you're dividing by zero. Please stop doing this. Um, You know, and it was funny, and there were pictures taken, all that kind of good stuff. So when I saw Steve Pierce warming up at second base in in the pregame, you know, all the the local beat writers took pictures. Ha, ha, ha. It was funny. And then later that night, oh, my God, he's actually playing second base. It was a very interesting thing. Um, Yeah, well, what, the Yankees put Jorge at second base that one time, right? So you never know. It gets even weirder. Yeah. uh, One one of the things that I noticed uh, from your article was it it talked about, uh, again, 
that the footwork was you know good enough and that uh from a fundamental standpoint it was it was a guy that didn't look like he was playing a new position because he did the easy things we'll call it well enough something that i've noticed over the past couple games and i know it's unfair because you don't watch a ton of oriole games um is that i noticed a little olay in in pierce's game uh on sunday in fielding grounders uh, particularly with with taking the ball off to his side rather than squaring up to get his body in front of it, and maybe I'm not being fair, and it was a harder play than I realized. Um, but I, I, it struck me because you would think that this lack of fundamental approach would eventually burn a guy like Pierce, who's playing outside of his natural position. I mean, does this is this a, a dangerous game he's playing, or am I not giving him enough credit for you know being around the infield as long as he has? I can't. Uh, it's hard to imagine the play that you were uh, referring to specifically, but I, it's easy enough to think. Well, maybe he just had his first basing things kick in, and he thought, "Well, I'm going to yeah. try to pick this and keep my foot on the bag instead of doing the thing where the infielders are tossing their bodies in front of the ball and, and knock it down, keep it in front of them." First baseman thought to do that a little differently, but I don't know. I don't know what's going through Steve Pierce's head, but I think everybody understands this is sort of uh, an emergency thing where the Orioles don't want to start Jimmy Pretty to second base. They don't want to start Ray Navarro anywhere. And it's not like plan A was to, was to play Steve Pierce at second base. It wasn't plan B, C, or D either. It's just everybody got hurt. And so they wound up in a position where, well, we are forced into a position of having to be creative. Who is our best option to put out there? And, well, we have this first baseman who got a lot better last year. He's not old. He's open-minded. Let's just see how it works. And I think this is I, I don't think it's like a. I don't think it's a the Orioles to a T. I don't think it's representative of the team exactly. But if you want to figure out why this team has been successful the last few years, despite spending a lot less than the rivals and having less name value than the rivals, I think it's, there's a lot of open-mindedness and flexibility and versatile thinking that is going on there that you see less of in many other places. All right, I want to go into some other topic, and it's kind of relevant to the current situation that's going on this week. You're a big fan of the Seattle Mariners, and the Orioles are playing them this week. You know, yep. as a fan of, you know, Nelson Cruz from last year, you know, Orioles fans continue to see Nelson Cruz rake at the plate, and we're just filled with, you know, agony and be like, oh, we wish we still had him. But you look at the record for the Seattle Mariners, and it's at 17 and 20. Why hasn't Nelson Cruz's performance at the plate reflected in a better record for the Seattle Mariners to this point? Well, you could you could just as easily look up, say, Robinson Cano's performance, yeah. or Kyle Seager's performance at the plate, or, or Dustin Ackley. If you want him, he can, he's, he's all yours if you if you want him. And then there's been some problems on the pitching staff. Sashi Okuma's been hurt. Bolton has been worse than last year. There's a lot going on, uh, and I think uh, it's with the whole division struggling except for the Astros, just put us in the weird position of, oh, well, now it's almost Memorial Day, and the Astros are actually way out there in front of everyone, so maybe this isn't a joke. Because you think, even if the Mariners aren't very good, you think, okay, well, they're basically tied with the Angels almost, so that's all you have to worry about. Except you don't, because the Astros are now out in front. So it's there's a lot going on. Obviously, it's not Nelson Cruz's fault, but I think that if you, if you look at wins above replacement, I'm pretty sure that Nelson Cruz uh, accounts for all of the Mariners' position player war and uh and that kind of tells you the story right there well you know we've seen this we know how it ends um nelson cruz for the orioles in 2014 was silly i mean he was he was beyond superlative in april and may and then 
he got scarce. He got scarce in June, June and July. July weren't great months, but you know, and he he had fine August and September, but he he made his money basically in in April and May and disappeared in the middle and then came back. Do you do you expect the other foot to drop as it did in 2014 uh, when it comes to Nelson yeah. Cruz? I figure Nelson Cruz probably isn't a 350 hitter. I think that he's, <laughs> I'm sure he's made some adjustments that have allowed him to age a little better than maybe he would have otherwise. But, you know, this is this is year one of, of four, and I think Mariners fans sort of remember the Richie Sexton contract that gave out about a decade ago, which started extremely well, and then it kind of followed the, the expected course. And I think Cruz is going to follow the expected course. But maybe you could think of it this way, where last year Cruz had a, a blazing start for the Orioles. He started to fade. And you said you know how the story ends, and you know, uh, your story ended in the playoffs, so I, I wouldn't mind that one so much. If, if the team made the playoffs and Nelson Cruz stopped hitting, I think I would take that trade off. I think that's a pretty good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, Jeff, um, like I said, we appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us about Orioles baseball and uh, re- reminiscing fondly about Nelson Cruz. Uh, we're eagerly looking forward to seeing him again here in Baltimore for this brief series. Jeff, is there anything that you uh, are working on currently at Fangraphs? I am just, I think, I think I'm in the process of actually writing about Adam Jones, and I don't know, we talked about him a little before the podcast, I don't know if you're going to edit any of that in, but I'm I'm very interested in what Adam Jones has done to his contact skills, because it's sort of like the Machado step in a different area, where Manny Machado is taking more pitches, which is unusual to see, and Adam Jones is hitting more pitches, which is also unusual to see, and, and Jones is considerably older than Machado is, so we'll see what comes of this post idea, but uh, if nothing else, we're looking at a significant contact rate increase over, I don't know, roughly a quarter of a season, and that is weird. And so I am I am forever in pursuit of understanding the weird. Well, that's what we call a tease, folks, in the industry. So uh, with that, check out Fangraphs and check out Jeff Sullivan's work there. You should also be following him on Twitter at based underscore ball. And uh, Jeff, you know, thanks so much for coming on the program tonight to talk to us about baseball. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. You know, Scott, after Sunday's spot start, half the fan base is ready to hand Mike Wright the keys to the city, and uh, the other half thinks that he's just some bum who got lucky. Uh, so I ask you, which is it? Um, I don't know. Let me think. It might be, uh, you may be right. I may be crazy, but sorry. I, I'm going to key that out. I feel like I'm to blame. Yeah, for this. You really are to blame for that one. I was really hoping that was going to work perfectly well. Um, well, Jake, let's take a look at who Mike Wright has been to this point. So in Orioles, uh, in 2013, he was the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year at Bowie. 2014 in Norfolk, completely different story. Lost nine of his first 10 decisions. And again, not a big fan of looking at wins and losses in terms of, uh, you know, AAA performances, but also he had a pretty escalated ERA during that time period as well. Um, you know, Mike Wright is a, a pitcher that really has relied on his sinker to produce ground ball outs. Um, 
and allegedly he tweaked his mechanics slightly in August 2014 and somewhat salvaged his year in AAA. And ever since coming up, uh, well, actually coming into spring training this past, you know, this spring, he's been really impressive in terms of some of the velocity he's been showing up there, uh, mid-90s and occasionally topping a 99-mile-per-hour fastball, too. Um, definitely something encouraging and something that has got Buck's attention in the past as well. Um, and Mike Wright was finally called up to the show last week on Wednesday and never got into the game. It's one of the questions of whether he was actually ever going to get in the game. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, with a little bit of bronchitis, but Norris is not able to pitch. Chris Tillman has to get pushed back. And Mike Wright gets his sh- chance. And like you said, pitch great. Uh, seven to the third, shout out innings, only three singles and a double. Uh, striking out six and no walks. Um, Gary Thorne mentioned that it was the uh, he was one of three pitchers in the past 25 years that accomplished that um, in Major League Baseball. So pretty impressive. Um, Jake, I mean, that's obviously great numbers, but my concern about it was looking at the numbers of the velocity and the usage. Um, the big thing with Mike Wright has always been how long does that velocity stay there throughout the game? And you looked in the first inning, I tweeted out saying, yeah, he's got you know high velocity, 98 miles per hour in order to strike a trout. I said he was running on adrenaline. People disagreed with me because they said, oh, no, he constantly gets that. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. You know, He might get that a few innings, but over time, he has a tendency to lose velocity. And sure enough, in the fourth inning, he showed reduced velocity. He was pitching around like a 92 to 94 mile per hour fastball. Certainly not terrible. Here's the weird thing, though. Yeah. I, I agree with you. He his he he was ramped up. He yeah. was definitely amped up. His velocity was really high in the first few innings. At four, five, six, he definitely scaled back. He was working at 90, 91 with his fastball. But then in the seventh inning, mm-hmm. he had the gas to go back yeah. to, which I was very surprised inning, by. The seventh inning, he had that gas, and then it came back, and it was just like, oh, the gas is back. And it was almost like Joseph or somebody went over Dave Wallace came to him and said, what's going on? This might be your only chance. Mm-hmm. Give it everything you got. Don't hold back. Just give it everything you got. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to see that kind of up, down. But the one thing I will point out is, yes, he did show gas in that seventh or anything, but the variation of velocity there was extreme. So he was still throwing 92, 93 mile per hour fastballs, but he could throw the extra gas on top of it and throw a 97 or 98 mile per hour fastball when he needed, which is a pretty cool trick uh to to pull out but consistently i'm not sure if that would be a a, a case and and we don't know we i feel like we don't have enough information for instance he was off for 10 days right so is the fact that he's has an extremely rested arm account at all for the fact that he can go and throw deep into the game and throw heat at the end i'm not saying that he doesn't have that ability i'm just saying that you know the proof is in the pudding and i'm not sure we got we don't have enough pudding to go on. There's definitely not enough pudding to go on. You know, could he be a starter in the rotation? Sure, it's possible, but it's likely that he's a a back end rotation uh, starter. And even if that's the case, you know, you look at his pitch selection with the fastball, the sinker, and then the slider. He's got a changeup in there, and he's got a curveball in there. And the changeup's not terrible. But there was one interesting thing on the uh, post game show with Dave Johnson. He said that. When he throws the changeup, he sometimes slows his arm down. And I'm telling you right now that if he's actually slowing that arm down, batters are going to see that, and they're going to nail that changeup. I've also got a big issue, too, looking at some of the pitch selection that he do. Yeah, he got strikes, but he was leaving a lot of balls in the middle plate. It's not like the Angels are a great offensive team. I know there's Pujols in there, and I know Trout's in there. 
but as an offensive team, the Angels currently right now as a team have a weighted run created plus of 81, which is pretty poor. It's not like the Angels are um, offensive world beaters. Um, I just feel like, you know, to a certain regard, if he was going against uh, a team like Toronto, for example, that is, you know, a really great offensive team, I feel like there could have been a lot more home runs put up in that game. And you can get away with that at 97, 98 sometimes. Yeah. Um, but if you have an off game and and the heat's just not there, or if you're pitching consistently at 94, 95, which, by the way, is still pretty good yeah. heat. Or your off-speed and breaking ball aren't working. Which, right. Hmm. And, and so here's my thing. I, I want to say Mike Wright was great. I mean, mm-hmm. he pitched phenomenal. I mean, it was a major league debut it, it, as a rookie, as a guy that gave us a start that we desperately needed. As an Oriole fan, it is an amazing performance. You know, I was at the game, and it was amazing to watch him. But at the same point, you just kept thinking to yourself, okay, when is the bubble going to pop? Because it was a situation, again, of the Baltimore Orioles offense wasn't able to support him <laughs> through the majority of that game. And you're like, great, he's going to throw this great game, and the Orioles are going to somehow not be able to support him. And then there's going to be a bloop. And then there's going to be just some random series of events that's going to come back and bite it. So it was a great performance, and it was a great result. I'm just not sure that I want to put the pressure of expecting that result on this guy for for you know continuing forward. Because the thing is that if he turns only to be a, if it turns out that he's only uh, you know a, a setup guy, yeah, that's a very valuable player oh, in totally, this league. Totally. Uh, and if he turns out to be only a back end of the rotation guy, again, incredibly valuable. I think the question that I have at this point is we saw a really great start from him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he gets another shot at, at starting until he falters? Or was this a single spot start and a pleasant surprise and we move on to other options from here? You know, I hate to come back to Dave Johnson again, but it was actually kind this of, is strike two for this you. Is strike two for me. And I'm going to read the Mars ad very soon, everybody. Um, but it was interesting too because he was talking about Steve. And I thought Steve was an excellent example for this where Steve. Came up to the through the organization was a, a reliever for a few time, a little bit for the Orioles, and then all of a sudden he got a spot start against the Detroit Tigers, and he came in and absolutely dominated the Detroit Tigers and got that win. And everyone was just like, "Yeah, Steve Johnson, local homeboy, got the win." You know, he's going to get into the rotation just like his dad did, and not be maybe an ace, but be able to salvage a few wins. And then as soon as he won that game, he was instantly optioned to Norfolk, and you know who replaced him, of course. Let's see if you know this trivia. Joe Saunders? No. What would you like me to tell you? Oh, absolutely. Manny Machado. Oh, on the roster. Oh, yeah. that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Yep. He's He's got a uh, Dempsey to Robinson connection. Correct. There. Exactly. So I thought that was an interesting story. But I, like I said, I'm not saying that I'm not unimpressed by Mike Wright. I'm just saying that looking at the skill set where it looks like he would struggle consistently going through the order um, against a really good offensive team, I just think he'd be a much better um, set up man, be able to go two plus innings at, 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 at in a worst case scenario, but be a one or two inning guy, similar to a Darren O'Day or a Brad Brock, and could be very effective. Maybe not so much on this team this year, but could possibly be. But next year, definitely when you're going to lose players like Tommy Hunter and potentially mm-hmm. Darren O'Day, this guy looked like a much better version of Tommy Hunter to me than anything else. And Tommy Hunter serves a very useful role for this team. I just think that Mike Wright is kind of similar Tommy Hunter esque pitcher at a much different price. Yeah, look from on the fan side, from from being a fan, I would love to see Mike Wright get another start, get another couple of starts while you've got Bud Norris on the on the DL and and ineffectiveness of everybody else, and uh, Chris Tillman with his back. 
I would really like to see him get some starts to see what we've got. Um, because I think that if you look at a guy like Miguel Gonzalez, Miguel Gonzalez is a major league starter Mm -hmm. and you wonder why, right? He's a kind of guy that has unimpressive stuff. He's a kind of guy that shouldn't, looks like he shouldn't be able to get through a lineup the second or third time. And yet he always manages to do so. I, I would love to be proven wrong about Mike Wright. And again, not to say that I don't like Mike Wright or what we saw. I'm just, uh, as a fan, I would love to see it happen. But from looking at Buck Showalter and the way he operates, I really feel like he's going to go back to his track record guys. And he's going to go back and give the regular starters their chances through. And Mike Wright will be a, a pleasant blip on the radar for the 2015 season. I think with Bud Norris going on the DL tonight, it's going to set up Mike Wright to make at least one more start. I know Tyler Wilson came up and there's a possibility that he could start. But I think Tyler Wilson's going to serve that long man that Mike Wright was supposed to serve if the Orioles starters got into a bad situation. Now that Bud Norris is on the DL, I think they're going to give Mike Wright at least another, you know, one or two starts to see what happens. And then it might be a situation where Mike Wright or Tyler Wilson go back down to Norfolk and Kevin Gossman gets inserted into the rotation. And then Mike Wright or Taylor Wilson, whoever is left in the bullpen, is pulled out. And then it comes back to a question of, okay, does Gossman get moved out of the out of the rotation and moved back into the bullpen, or does Bud Norris go into the bullpen? But I give Mike Wright another start to see how he does. I'm just not expecting big things from him. Just, just my, that's my personal opinion. I can't doubt your opinion, Scott, because when you look into the future to see what's going to happen, unfortunately, more often than not, you're right these days. When it comes to twisting, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby. Yeah, I am the boss. Scott's beginning to run away with it again this year, taking a commanding 4-1 to one lead. Uh, last week's uh, was first uh, pitch strikes. Darren Day, 75% of them. Zach Burton, 64.7%. Two pretty decent performances, but Darren O'Day has always been a very good first pitch strike pitcher. Um, what can I say? It's what happens when you do some decent research. So, Jake... I'm going to return. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You haven't been blowing my doors off. You've been winning, but I haven't been selecting the worst, uh, the worst. Selection. You haven't been taking the worst person, but I haven't been blowing your doors off in the <laughs> win category. So I'm going to go. Pitcher wins. Yes. I'm going to go back to uh, batter ball profile since I love them. I'm going to use line drive percentage. You know, Jake, I was actually looking at another statistics, which is batted ball velocity, which has come up recently in a lot of articles. Masson always is talking about it. But that's that's why I don't take it seriously. <laughs> but actually, batted ball velocity is really interesting in terms of some of the hit effects and the stat cast that's coming out. Because if you look at some of the home runs like Gino Carlo and Stanton and Nelson Cruz are having, some of the velocities off those balls are 110 plus miles per hour, which is pretty impressive. Um, I actually came across a really cool graph too, which is um, Babbitt versus batted ball velocity, which I thought was pretty cool. But that's especially with line drives, right, which is exactly. interesting. The, the higher the velocity of a line drive, sure. particularly, the better chance it's going to yeah. be a hit. The issue I had with the, picking this category is I started looking around at batted ball velocity, and our guest, Jeff Sullivan, had just posted an article on Fangraphs about this and said that the batted ball velocity data that is currently available is sometimes very accurate, and sometimes it's a little sketchy. 
So for such a small sample size, I just didn't want to go with it and have something tainted. So in Tindle, then, I'm just going to let Mike Borda continue to report it as a very solid stat on Masson because he does a great job of reading those teleprompters. So with that, Jake, we're going to use line drive percentage. Jake, you get to choose this week. Hope I you, hope you got this one. I got it. There, okay. there is no way I can lose okay. this week. No, let me put it this way. There's no way I can lose legitimately. If, I, if it doesn't happen for me, it's the, it's the fantasy boss equivalent of BABIP. Okay. For line drive percentage, I'm going with Steve Pierce. Okay, I like Steve Pierce a lot. I think he's doing really well lately in terms of line drive percentages. Um, it's one of those situations where his line drive percentage has been so high lately that you would expect him to do really well, and I think he's finally starting to turn that curve. I'm expecting big things out of Steve Pierce over the next week um, in terms of line drive percentage, but also offensive reduction. So I think we're going to start to see some of those home runs like he you know, has been been having recently i'm expecting big things even um, if he doesn't those loud outs will help me yeah exactly uh i'm gonna go i'm torn between mr davis who always hits the ball really hard or manny machado who i think is gonna heat back up again i'm gonna go with manny machado i think he's gonna have a pretty big week this week i think he's gonna hit a lot of slap drives which is interesting um, given consideration what we just had the conversation with Jess Sullivan being a little bit more patient approach to the plate. But I think Manny Machado is going to put some uh, put some good contact on the ball this week. Can I put you on the spot? Sure. What would you think about Jimmy Paredes as a choice? I don't have enough of a sample size for him, but I wouldn't think he'd be terrible right now with the way that he's hitting. The only concern with him is I see a lot of balls hit more on the ground um, and kind of seeing eye hits right now. Um, as opposed to slap hits into the gaps and stuff like that. I think Manny Machado has a lot better ability to slap balls into the outfield or into the gaps potentially. That's why I really like Davis, but I'm just concerned about him getting shift-faced. Um, so with that, you know, I'm going Manny Machado. Jake, you're going Steve Pierce. Let's see who will own it. And with that, we're going to pop over now and go through who did own it last week in the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, it's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, of course, we always encourage you to play along on the Twitters. Hashtag O's good. Hashtag O's bad. Hashtag O's ugly. Let us know throughout the week who's your good, the bad, and the ugly. If we get good, entertaining ones, we'll be sure to share it on the program. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I do so because the quality of Scott's rants for the ugly greatly outweigh my own. Um, so I'm going to start with the good, and this week the good is Jimmy Paredes. And it, it's a it's an overall quality, but I want to make it very specific about the eighth inning on Sunday. Jimmy Paredes does not only uh, hit the ball hard, but he plays the, the, the game hard. And Buck Showalter is constantly talking about Paredes not taking anything for granted, not taking off any plays. And that's exactly what won the game for the Orioles on Sunday. Paredes beat out a tapper to second base to extend the inning with two outs, allowing Adam Jones to hit behind him. And without that effort, this game would have very possibly been another frustrating loss. Um, the Orioles gave Mike Wright and the bullpen the thinnest of margins until Jimmy Paredes came through. So I, I want to make sure that that effort is not lost because I feel like regardless of how he's hitting at the plate, that effort is always there. And for me, this week, 
That's good. Jimmy Paredes. Jake, I'm going to have to go back to Obaldo Jimenez. Two starts this week, 14 innings pitch, 9.64 Ks per nine, 1.92 walks per nine. And that's with a 342 BABIP this week. Uh, all I can say is aces. That's a loaded term here. You know that. I know it's a loaded term, but <sighs> people are going to start sending angry letters again. Yes. All right. For the bad, with me this week, the bad is Manny Machado's defense. And look, I don't care what the answer is. I don't care if it's him recovering from the injuries. I don't care if it, it's him being mentally checked out. And I don't care if he's been replaced by a robot from the future. It's got to stop. Buck is right when he says that we have been spoiled by Machado's quality of play. I am spoiled, and I want the old Manny back, or at least a Manny that doesn't make my heart skip a beat whenever a ball is hit to third base. It's getting to that point. It's getting to the point where a, a shot to third base literally makes me hold my breath until the play is completed. Manny Machado, you are on notice. Get it together defensively. All right, my bad for the week is going to have to go to Fly balls. The Orioles managed to put 40.4% up in the air this past week with 11.9% of them being infield fly balls. Tie that together with the 40% uh, ground balls that they put into play, and you had a lot of weak hit balls um, put into play, um, which led to the Orioles having a measly 217 BABIP this week. I'm looking for some hard contact this week. Orioles bats, it's time to wake up. Looking for some hard wood this week? I'm looking for some hard wood. I had to go there. All right. Ugly for me this week is Delman Young as an everyday player. The legend of Delman Young in the playoffs was only possible because he was fresh off the bench. There's no other way to put it. He's terrible playing every day. He's terrible playing every day in right field, especially when you put him in the cleanup spot. His ISO, which is basically a measurement of his power and extra base hit production, is .047. And yet he's batting in the middle of the lineup? He's playing right field. But that's a topic for a different day. Look, Young was 2 for 14 with a walk this week, and that's not good enough. He cannot weigh down the lineup, particularly not if he's hitting cleanup. And I will say that the fact that the Orioles don't have many better options for a cleanup hitter does not excuse his work at the plate this week. Delman Young, you, sir, are ugly. And by that I mean the play in the field, not, not the more obvious one. All right, Jake, my obvious one this week is unfortunately self-inflicted to a certain regard, but my ugliest week has to go to Orioles Facebook. Orioles Facebook was an absolute disaster yesterday after the Mike Wright incident. I figured, you know, after the complaining and whining, which is Orioles Facebook for the past week, and to a certain regard, sometimes legitimate, legitimate complaints, I tuned in on Sunday night just to see what people were talking about, and I found complaining about Mike Wright not tipping his cap to the Orioles fans while he was walking back to the dugout. Are you kidding me, folks, that you would get on you know, a, a, a player that's 25 years old that just finished his major league debut after being in the zone all day and just walking back into the dugout, soaking in the atmosphere and just trying to think to himself of everything that he just accomplished? How selfish can you be as Orioles fans and how selfish can you be as sports fans? You're an embarrassment. You're disgusting, and you're just, ugh, you're just vile, in my opinion. Um, you are make are what makes Orioles fans you know, a bad name to certain people out there, and you're just bad sports fans. Um, do us a favor. 
just stop following the Orioles. Go follow, you know, another team, whatever it may be. Maybe the Nats are looking for people like that and just, you know, we, we don't really need your kind around here. If you're going to get that upset over someone tipping their cap and you can't, you know, look past it, shame on you. You Orioles fans are ugly. Co-signed. Yeah. All right, Jake, you want to go ahead and uh, blow the save this week or do you want me to go ahead and blow the save? Uh, if it's all right with you, I'm going to go ahead and blow the save and I am also going to shame people. Okay, let's go for the shaming. I'm going to shame show. Orioles fans who booed Manny Machado when he booted that ball at third base. Yeah. You know, that one. That one. And look, I take to the uh, to the faux airwaves and complain about them on a podcast. That's That's the way I deal with it. Some people take to the internet. Some people take to the water cooler. That's all good and fine. But do not boo Manny Machado in his home stadium among his home fans for making yet another error. Yes, it's embarrassing. Yes, it's frustrating. But you don't boo your home players. Yeah. It was a frustrating situation pretty much all Saturday night after, I mean, Jimenez pitched a gem and then gets babbit to death basically in that loss. And I have been super whiny. Like, go yeah. back go back and look at Twitter. I have yeah. been super whiny. You've been super depressed and super whiny. But do not boo Manny Machado. Yeah. And honestly, you really shouldn't boo any player unless they're Kevin Gregg or Michael Gonzalez, basically. But that's about it. Amen. Okay. Um, anything else that you've got uh, off your mind or anything like that you want to talk about? I am spent. Oh, you're spent. Well, hopefully the Orioles can rebound this week. Uh, we've got three at home against the Seattle Mariners with Nelson Cruz making his uh, resurgence once again. Yeah, don't boo him either. Yeah, don't boo him either. There's no reason to boo. You should stand up, applaud him, and you should shout, Cruz! Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Listen, go and open the door for your grandma, let Nelson Cruz in, <laughs> and just have a good time. And then at the end of the Nelson Cruz experience, we're going to go to Miami, and uh, that'll be interesting to see the uh, the tie that is on the manager down there now. Jake, with that... I've got nothing left. Baltimore and beyond, adieu-adieu. Baltimore and beyond, be safe out there, and let's go O's. Hey, Jake, tip your cap to me. Come on. You're supposed to tip my cap to me. I'm just soaking it all in, Scott. I just like being near you. Gosh. What a travesty. Boo. still here it's over go home go